0: in Swahili is dedicated to all you beautiful people around the world. We say
1: Global Mission Podcast. My name is Richard Lewis, your host, as we discuss the issues of worldwide missions and the task of the Great Commission. Well, this today we have a uh, friend of mine uh, that is living in the Middle East, and uh, I'm going to call him Ndugu, uh, which in Swahili means brother. And so we're going to be uh, interviewing uh, a friend of mine uh, that's uh, working there and uh, I've known uh, Ndugu for uh, many years, and uh, so uh, we're delighted to have you, Ndugu. I wish I could tell everybody who you are, but uh, nevertheless, uh, it's uh, good to have you uh, on the podcast. Yeah, well, thank you so much for inviting me. I I have tracked with your ministry, believe
0: it or not, for 40 years now almost, and uh, I truly appreciate your contribution to missions thinking and missions practice and so it's an honor to be on this podcast
1: well I appreciate that 40 years that's uh, that tells us we're both getting older man (laughs) and uh, so hey listen uh, what I do with every one of these uh, podcasts uh, is uh, just ask people what their journey is in terms of missions because there are people out there listening and there you know a lot of people say well how do you get there how did how does anyone become uh, a servant of the lord uh, overseas and so even though a lot of people uh, you know they they hear this and they say well, you know he starts his podcast with the same interview uh, what is your journey i think it's very important so uh, if you would uh, don't mind, just uh, begin your journey. How did you get where you are? And um, so, just kind of give us the process. You can go back as far as you want to go, uh, from uh, the time you were a kid to uh, an adult. So, I'll just let you. I'll just let you start.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think my story is all that unusual to people who are in the ministry. I grew up in a home where my parents taught me to honor. The Bible is God's Word. At an early age, I came to understand my need for a Savior and uh, asked Christ to take control of my life. Um, so from a, a child, I have been a believer, but honestly didn't grow in my faith, was not discipled, didn't really live for God until my senior year. My senior year in high school, we got involved in a great church with an active youth department, with a youth pastor who invested in me. And it was during that time that uh, God really began to work in my life. And honestly, my whole whole, um, outlook on life changed. My heroes were no longer sports figures or the Hollywood elite, but uh, I really revered those men who were in the ministry, who could stand up with courage and proclaim the word of God. And And it was at that time that I just had this growing desire that that's what I want to do with my life. Hmm. Um, I want to invest my life in something for a higher purpose, you know, not just pursuing comfort, pursuing materialistic things. And so um, I did what a lot of guys do at that stage. Um, I just, what they call surrendered my life to God and uh, declared that I felt he wanted me in the middle. Call it, call it if, a calling if you want but it was just this overwhelming desire that God placed in my heart hmm. and so that's when I just went off to uh, get some training and some help to prepare for that now where are you from originally that's a good question I grew up all in the Midwest but it was uh, it was actually in West Texas where uh, this happened and where I really got serious about my faith
1: so you went from uh, surrendering to what you believe the Lord was leading you to. And uh, then you went to, what did you go to the university? Did you go to a seminary, Bible college? What, what happened after that?
0: Yeah, I went to a Bible college to get some training. And uh, I'll tell you the best advice I ever received is from one of my mentors at that time who, who said, uh, you don't know what God wants to do with your life. He said, so take the missions course. Mm. He said, you'll get theology in that, you'll get plenty of Bible in that, but you'll also get that challenge of a worldview to look outside of your little bubble, your little culture, and really consider where in the world God wants you to go and to serve Him. And that was was like gold to me. That was great advice.
1: You know, I've heard that uh, from uh, another guy that uh, he said that he didn't really know what he would be doing in terms of ministry, but someone gave him advice to take a missions uh, take uh, missions courses or major in missions, and uh, it sounds like we're getting an affirmation in that uh, that might be the way to go if you're going to go to Bible college or your seminary is to take mission courses. Well, uh, were you married at that time? I got married uh, after my first year in school, and
0: um, so we kind of went through this together and while we were in that missions course uh, you know uh, this is a great school where speakers would come through and preach in chapel and a lot of times they were missionary speakers and man the challenge gripped my heart and i just determined from that point on there you know why would i want to stay in america and be a part of that 95 percent of all christian workers who are ministering in the christian world when there's you know several billion unreached who have no clue about the gospel and who Jesus is. And so God used someone like Richard Lewis and uh, a, another guy named Tommy Moore and Jerry Daniels who came through and gave that challenge. And that's really uh, was influential in my decision to go
1: overseas. That's great. What happened uh, after graduation? Did you immediately go overseas? What uh, What happened after that?
0: know, yeah, I did my internship in a really missions-minded church and uh, for six years did youth ministry, which in hindsight was part of God's sovereign plan to prepare me to work with youth because the first place we went uh, in East Africa, 50% of the culture was 15 years of age or under. And so that that expertise or that experience, let's say, in youth ministry really went a long way and helped us out.
1: Great. Well, you mentioned East Africa. So, is that uh, where you landed? It is. Um, these guys that I mentioned, like yourself, uh, at that
0: time, you were ministering in Kenya, and uh, that's what God used to kind of focus our attention toward the African continent. But then, as we got out the map and we started looking and praying about it, we didn't want to go where other people were, and we we found this country you know, just right across the border from Kenya, very similar context, similar language, similar peoples, and yet we had no workers there at that time with our group. In fact, there were very few um, evangelical missionaries at that time in that part of uh, East Africa, and so that's where we determined God would have us to go and launch our ministry.
1: Yeah, I, I remember trying to recruit you uh, and your colleague for Turkana Pocat, and uh, Uh, you know, uh, disappointed, but glad that uh, you did find your way to uh, Tanzania, and uh, uh, in hindsight, obviously, it was uh, the Lord's leading. So, uh, how long were you uh, there in Tanzania? Uh, 27 years. Uh, We
0: started in Kenya because we couldn't get down into Tanzania, and so we had two years worth of just trying to get the paperwork accomplished so that we could legitimately live and minister there across the border. And so then we moved down into Tanzania. And so a total of 27 years, uh, we had a wonderful
1: ministry there in that part of the world. Uh, What, uh, of course, uh, Tanzania is uh, a little bit difficult to, uh, to minister into these days, isn't it? Actually, they're making it almost impossible. Uh, Recently, the
0: government under the new administration uh, has declared that foreign missionaries are only allowed to stay so many years, and then they have to turn over properties and work to nationals, to locals, and leave the country. And so even the guys that we have there right now are uh, preparing or have already left and are moving on to different things.
1: Well, you actually made the decision, if I understand the story, you made the decision to leave Tanzania long before these restrictions came in. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So what is it that uh, prompted you to uh, say, uh, I'm leaving uh, East Africa and I'm moving to a different part of the world? Because, uh, you know, it's really a a huge um, uh, You've you put a great deal of investment uh, in uh, East Africa, learning the language, and so to move from that context to entirely different context uh, was a huge deal. So uh, tell us, tell us a little bit how you did that.
0: Oh man, you talk about a major and difficult decision. Uh, Tanzania was our life, it was our home, it was our love, our friends that were like family to us were there and so it was it was a huge decision but really i think three things factored into it number one uh we looked around at the churches established at the um the the orphanage um all the different ministries the youth camp ministry and different things even the bible training ministry that we had established and all these things were either being run already by national men and women or were in the process and we really didn't feel like we were that needed. We kind of had worked ourselves out of a job. And quite honestly, we had witnessed in other places where, you know, missionary workers hang on too long. Uh, They get comfortable. And uh, when it's time to transition and turn over uh, that ministry into the hands of those that they've trained up for that purpose, they kind of hang around and sometimes that breeds bitterness even on the part of those national workers. And so that's the last thing we wanted. Yeah. So that was one factor. Uh, secondly, God really began to grip our hearts about places in the world that were so desperate in need for the gospel, while the gospel now was really beginning to thrive and, and taking off there in that part of the world where we were. We would make visits to visit my son, who is in one of the least reached nations in the world, a creative, creative access nation, 99.8% Muslim, and we would come back just broken about how desperate the need was for the gospel in, in that part of the world. And so that was another thing that God really began to work on us about moving and taking the gospel to people who were least reached. Hmm. And then thirdly, about seven, eight years ago was when the displaced people crisis was really at a head. I mean, all over the world, it seemed... Because of uh, persecution, because of civil war, uh, men and women and children were flooding across borders and becoming refugees. Mm. And we just saw an amazing opportunity because many or most of these were coming from Muslim nations. And they were crossing the border into places where we could more easily reach them now. And all these things combined, god used to just kind of speak to us like it's time to move on to make a move and take the gospel to
1: this wonderful opportunity that he has opened up in the world well there's a couple of things that you said there that i would like to follow up on and that is this uh whole issue of uh, when uh, people stay a, uh, a particular long time in in one place, and then uh, then they feel the, maybe the moving of the Lord to say, "Hey, listen, you've done your job here, and uh, now it's time to move on." I know that uh, that's uh, how Sandy and I felt when uh, we left Kenya. A lot of people didn't understand uh, why we left. Uh, you know, a thriving, successful uh, work to move somewhere else. I think it's uh, important that. Uh, uh, that some of our missionary friends would uh, uh, hear that and uh, uh, think about, okay, uh, have you uh, uh, accomplished what uh, you intended, and uh, is the Lord uh, maybe using your gifts and your abilities uh, to move the second uh, second phase? However, I do want to caution that uh, there are people that live 30, 40 uh, years longer uh, on a field, and uh, so, you know, there's not a time limit, and there's no one way of doing things. There are some people that uh, need to, to remain until uh, God call, calls them home uh, to heaven. And uh, then there are others that uh, perhaps maybe need to think about making a switch. What do you think? I think it's
0: a tough issue, and it is an individual, uh, you know, Everyone has their gifting, everyone has their calling, and so I would, I would be very, very slow to condemn anyone who just lives out their life in one location. But when you look at the, uh, the missionaries' examples that we have in the, in the New Testament, um, I think it's pretty obvious that our, our calling is to evangelize, our calling is to be pioneers and to start things, and then to train up people to take that. And run with that that have the same Holy Spirit that we do that God gifts and gives abilities to and so I've always felt like that that it's a dangerous thing for us and it's all of our natural tendencies just to become comfortable and you could never get to the point where you say there's nothing left for me to do here there's always going to be things for you to do there but it behooves us I believe to lift up our eyes and see the harvest And that same sense of calling that called us out of our home context to a place that was in more need of the gospel I think we need to live our entire lives with that and struggle with that and always be willing to lift up our eyes and see the harvest Hmm. and ask God if he's you know if he wants us somewhere else perhaps and so you know I I think it's it's on
1: an individual basis but that's how he worked in our life well that's uh, that's good and that's a good word I think about uh, how difficult it is sometimes for people to move cross culturally, and uh, I know that uh, here's uh, I'm talking to someone for 27 years in East Africa. You've gone all th- you've gone through all the the, the the scrapes and the skinning of the knees and trying to learn uh, a different culture, living a different culture. Uh, in many ways, you are even more equipped to make a transition uh, from. One location, one geographical area to another one uh, that you wouldn't find probably with, uh, let's say, new missionaries that are just getting on the field. So, But now I know that there was, uh, you know, obviously it wasn't an easy transition. I know, knowing Hmm. you well uh, that I do, uh, you had mastered the language uh, there in East Africa. But then you went to a different part of the world where the language is a little bit tougher,
0: huh? Yeah, not just the language. I mean, it was our life. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot to be said, as you know, as a cultural anthropologist of uh, the culture becoming your own. Uh, and someone, someone asked me one time, well, isn't it easier the second time to make this kind of move? Quite honestly, it's actually harder. You know, the first time you're young and stupid and you're so full <laughs> of that adventuresome spirit, like you don't care what's in front of you. You're just so excited. And so you you approach this. Radical change in context and this challenge to learn the language, you know, and it's just it's all just one big adventure well the second time around you pretty much know what's ahead of you Mm -hmm. and You know what the challenges are going to be and what the sacrifices It's it's going to call for and so to me in a lot of ways This was a greater step of faith and a greater challenge than it was that first time when we left the US to come to Africa and Mm -hmm. You're right about the language. Uh, Arabic is a whole different animal than Swahili, and it has been a challenge, especially in our 50s.
1: <laughs> uh, I can only imagine. Well, listen, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, as much as you possibly can, about your work there in the Middle East, and. If someone is thinking about making a switch, maybe, you know, there's some people that uh, they never thought about Africa or Europe or anything like that, but they've always been intrigued about uh, the Middle East and working there. So uh, if you can, as much as you can, tell us uh, uh, what type of work uh, uh, you are involved in and how would you um, uh, encourage someone else if they're listening to this podcast on making a transition to that part of the world? Well, that's a loaded question.
0: Um, I think probably this speaks to uh, millennials and especially the generation Xers out there who uh, are really struggling, I think, with this whole thing of missions and have a little bit different mindset when it comes to, if I'm going to give my life to a cause and to serving God, what does that look like in a foreign context? Well, working with refugees has been such a different ministry paradigm than what we did in our church planning ministry back in Africa. Uh, Really our our approach has been threefold. Uh, Number one, it involves uh, humanitarian type assistance where we will take funds from churches and donors and we will help meet the many, many, many physical felt needs that refugees have when they're just struggling for survival uh, in 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 a place that's not their home. And so we'll put together food packages and care packages and hygiene packages, and we'll distribute them to three, four hundred families uh, all around us. And we do it in the name of Christ, uh, declaring his love for them. Uh, no strings attached. So that's one thing we've been doing. Uh, secondly, we, and once we, we build some trust with the refugee community, then we'll, we'll organize events Uh, We call these gospel seed sowing events where we will just like rent a parking lot and put on a kid's carnival, or we will um, buy food to put on a banquet that we call an iftar dinner at the end of Ramadan, and we will invite the entire refugee community to come. We'll have three, four hundred people come to these events, and while we're just serving them and trying to uh, bring some joy and comfort into their life, we will declare the gospel and share um, Jesus with them. Uh, The third thing that we have been focusing on, and this is really what the other two lead up to, and that is finding those people of peace, those who are open to learning about our God, the God of the Bible, uh, the gospel story, and starting Bible studies with them. Uh, These are sometimes in a a public meeting place, sometimes in their homes, sometimes in a church building, but we start these uh, Bible study groups where they can find out uh, more about who God is and how he loves them and their need for a savior. Mm-hmm. And it's our hope. And we are starting to see this happen that these become uh simple house churches that can multiply and grow and spread wherever
1: refugees are. That's great. So here is um, a missionary that's listening to this and uh, they're thinking about maybe, relocation or maybe this is uh, someone that is just beginning their journey uh, in missions and overseas work Uh, any recommendations that you would have uh, in the process of uh, uh, going to that part of the world
0: well uh, as you've already mentioned the language is a
1: is probably the
0: primary challenge and so you cannot start too early uh, learning the Arabic language and by the way this is to me, Arabic is the new Spanish when it comes even to the United States context. And it used to be many years ago that if you wanted to you know, invest in a second language with ministry in mind, there were so many Hispanics in the U.S. that Spanish was the logical choice. Hmm. Well, believe me, there are many, many uh, Arabic speakers now in the U.S. and that population is continuing to grow. I mean, there's parts of the U.S. where the street signs are now in Arabic, hmm. believe it or not. And so any investment that you make in the Arabic language is not going to go wasted, even if you're in your home context, Hmm. but starting that. And then I would say, you know, you don't have to do this alone. There are teams right now. In fact, we're working now with a, a very large team of multiple families and helping assemble them into smaller teams where they can go into the North Africa and Middle East region as church planning teams And so you don't have to go it alone. Um, You can join up with others who are of like faith, who are of like mind, who have the same passion. And you can work on this together and really make a difference in some of these least recent nations.
1: Well, that's great. So I'm assuming that if someone was uh, interested in um, learning more about those teams, that uh, they could either contact you or they can contact me and I can maybe pass that word on to them. Uh, yeah, that would be great, Richard, if they could send you a,
0: a, a text or an email, and then you can forward them on to me, that'd be wonderful. And we would love to
1: dialogue with them. That's great. Hey, listen, uh, before we wrap this up, uh, you know, anything else that you want that you would like to to tell our audience uh, that uh, maybe something that uh, you've learned and uh, you'd just like to, to share with uh, other people? Well, we know that God is in the business of
0: using ordinary people. Uh, That's why you and I are in the ministry. There's nothing more ordinary than you and I. Um, But I guess my challenge would be just along the lines of what I was just saying. Don't try to go it alone. Um, You know, that that day of the pioneer guy going out on his own and and trying to carve out a a way, um, I think that day has passed. Mm. I think there are so many advantages to going out as a team. And i'm not just talking about actually going as a team and doing ministry you need a team back where you are mm. my home church for 34 years has been so faithful and consistent to pray for us and support us and encourage us and so to have a home uh, sending church is critical that is going to hold you accountable and to hold your arms up that's important we started something that we call a prayer calendar and we have I think 480 people right now who have committed to pray for us one day a week, specifically for our needs and for our ministry. And so we have that prayer support for us as well. And so I guess my challenge is you don't have to do it alone. Don't do it alone, but God will provide not only a a strong, um, body of people that will get behind you and help send you, but also those that will surround you with prayer support, and then it's great to be able to work on the field with people of like faith so that you can biblically serve and do it in a context where you can encourage one another.
1: Well, that's great. Well, Ndugo, I appreciate so much uh, this uh, time that we've had together. And uh, we certainly uh, do trust that uh, as we send out this podcast, other people will be challenged and encouraged and uh, maybe even ask questions and so. I want to thank you for your time and uh, take care of yourself, and uh, God bless. Well, another great and challenging interview with someone serving in a difficult area for the cause of Christ. If you would like to contact this brother and learn more about his work, you can find my email address on my website, and I will forward that message on to him. Again, our website address is lewis-training.com. Well, next week, I'm going to be in West Africa, but I will be uploading uh, the next podcast, and the discussion will be Why Missionaries Quit. And I think you'll find it very interesting, and uh, please join us. As we wrap up today's podcast, may I encourage you to stop and pray for those who serve overseas as well as the nations that do not yet have access to the gospel. As philosopher and historian Stephen Galcroker said, prayer needs no passport, visa, or work permit. There's no such thing as a closed country as far as prayer is concerned. Much of the history of mission could be written in terms of God moving in response to persistent prayer. So until next time, may the Lord of the harvest richly bless you and your service for him. Hakuna matata. Hakuna matata means no problem. Simba is